What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Let's kick this thing off. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, everyone. Bang, bang. This is a thank you listeners episode. What that basically means is I tweeted out and asked for questions. I literally got hundreds of questions. I'm not gonna answer them all, but Plana has uh, so graciously agreed to come on and help me choose- The best ones. The best ones, the best ones, the absolute best ones. Before we do that though, I wanna quickly talk about our sponsors. These sponsors today, One is BlockFi. As you guys know, I'm a super enthusiastic user and an investor in the company. They've got three products. They allow you to buy and sell crypto on their crypto exchange. They also allow you to deposit crypto and take out a US dollar loan. And then they allow you to deposit crypto or stable coins and earn up to 8.6% APY in an interest bearing account. No brainer compared to traditional interest bearing accounts. There's risk, go do your own research. Also later this year, they're gonna come out with a Bitcoin rewards credit card. It's gonna be awesome. Go check out blockfi.com slash pomp. Again, blockfi.com slash pomp. Our second sponsor is a newer one uh, that I'm super excited about. It's called Choice. They've got a new self-directed IRA product. You are probably listening to this and are part of the 7.1 million Bitcoin owners who have retirement accounts with dollars in them, but not Bitcoin. That's okay, I was in that situation too, but no longer. Now you can actually buy real Bitcoin in your retirement account. I'm talking about owning your private keys with tax advantage dollars. So you can get a self-directed IRA called Choice that will allow you to buy Bitcoin, own the private keys, and use tax advantage dollars to do it too. It's an absolute game changer. Retirewithchoice.com slash pomp. Retirewithchoice.com slash pomp. Lastly, I write a daily letter, 50,000 people read it. For some reason, business technology and finance is what I cover. I break down the complex topics into easy to understand language while sharing my opinion on various aspects of each industry. You can subscribe at pompletter.com. All right, sponsors are out of the way. Thank you for doing this. Thank you, my hair is wild right now. I don't know. Okay, some people are just listening, that's fine. Okay. What's going on, what's the first question? Okay. First question comes from Charlie Bleeker. At Bleeker Charlie. Let's talk about the process. How much preparation goes into a podcast interview? Are your follow-up questions written out or do they come naturally in the moment? How long did it take you to interview well? Uh, For example, no filler words, stumbling, et cetera. I still don't interview well. I stumble. You do. I stutter. No, you do interview well. Uh, I appreciate the compliment. I don't think so. I think I can improve drastically. I say um and ah and a bunch of stuff. I say right, um, makes sense. Little kind of filler words so I can get rid of those. Uh, In terms of preparation, it varies. There are some that I do a lot of preparation, but majority I don't do a lot of preparation. Uh, I either ask the guest for specific topics that they think uh, would be fun to talk about. I come with my own topics and questions. Uh, But usually those questions, like I know most of the people who come on the podcast. So there are questions that I already had. 
Uh, and the reason why I'm asking them to come on the podcast is because uh, I want to talk to them about something specific, whether it's them, an idea they had, a business they've run, uh, a view of the world, whatever it is. And so part of the magic, I think, of the podcast, uh, Charlie, is that I literally just ask the questions that I have. Um, I don't really worry about what does the audience think. It's my personal curiosity. And so far, that's proven to be uh, super valuable. So I'll keep doing it. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. When I interview someone, not that you guys care, but like when I interview someone, I over-prepare and I have to write out every question. He doesn't do that. He just jumps on and is like, let's see where this takes us, which I think is a great skill to have. Yeah, it's just like a natural exploration of who is this person, what are their ideas, and why do they care about what they care about? I love it. But aren't you ever scared that you didn't ask them something that you should have asked them and then later gone back and been like, oh, I should have asked that, but I didn't do my research? No, I just email them and ask them the question. <laughs> the, the audience doesn't get to hear it, but like uh, I still get my answer. Okay. All right. What's the next question? TK at Crypto TSK asks, who have you learned the most from? Who is your most requested guest that you haven't yet interviewed? Um, who have I learned the most from? I'll keep it to somebody on the podcast. It's really hard to pick one person. I've learned so much from so many different people. Um, I would say that the people I've learned the most from usually end up having the most views because other people learn as well. So if you think of just the top, uh, rec the top downloaded episodes, I think it's like Chamath, uh, Raul Paul, uh, Mark Yusko, uh, Peter Zahan, Mark Cuban, uh, Kathy Wood, like those are the people probably that uh, everyone would seem that they've learned the most from. One of my favorites that uh, didn't actually do as well as I thought it was going to do was uh, with Keith Rebois from Founders Fund. Uh, I've known Keith for a little bit. I just generally think that he's an incredibly intelligent guy um, and, and the way that he kind of breaks down problems and, and the mental frameworks he uses uh, are super interesting to me. So uh, he's probably somebody who's not up there. Um, and then uh, another person that I thought was really interesting uh, was Daryl Morey, uh, the GM of the Houston Rockets. I really enjoyed talking with him. So I think there's a lot of people uh, in terms of what was the second part of the question? Um, it was, who is your most requested guest that you haven't yet interviewed? The most requested thing around podcasts, everyone keeps telling me to go on Joe Rogan's podcast as if like, I'm just going to call Joe and go like, that's not how it works. Uh, in terms of people who want a guest to come on, I think I've pretty much got most of the guests. Maybe Bill Ackman uh, is Beyonce. one. Yeah, well, uh, nobody's asking me to interview Beyonce. Oh, I am. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, but I think Bill Ackman's probably the one that uh, I'm still working on trying to get him. Um, they're open to it, so, so we'll see. But uh, he, he's probably the one that's the most requested I haven't done yet. So it is interesting that you know, you've interviewed a lot of people and you just mentioned the ones you've learned from, yet I have been on your podcast and uh, I wasn't on that list. We'll just keep going. Okay, <laughs> what, what, what is the next question? Okay, we'll have at, this conversation later. At Michelle McLennan, at Mish McLennan is the... Mish underscore McLennan. Where do you begin in learning about Bitcoin and what are the most reputable resources on Bitcoin? I send people to three things. I say the first thing you should do is you should read the Bitcoin white paper. 
I tend to think that that is still today one of the best resources to understand what Bitcoin is and, and how it was intended to be used. The second thing that I send people to is Jamison Lop has a fantastic uh, resource page. I think it's lop.net slash Bitcoin dot uh, HTML maybe. Uh, that is just a fantastic thing. It's got all kinds of links and videos and it's just like a rabbit hole unto itself. And then the third thing I send them to is the Bitcoin standard, the book that Safe Dean wrote. Um, I tend to think that that is a, a great resource as well. And so those are the three things I tell people to start with. Uh, and if they can kind of get through those materials, I think that they'll come out on the other side very informed um, and kind of have a good understanding of not only uh, what Bitcoin is, why it's important and what it's going to solve in a legacy system. Thank you for that question, Michelle. Next up is Henning, at, at Henning. Wow, what a... So it's the at sign, A-T underscore Henning, H-E-N-N-I-N-G. I like this question. If you were 18 years old again, what would you have done differently? If I was 18 years old... Um, well, first of all, what were you doing at 18? At 18, I had just gotten to college and I was playing college football and being a shithead student. Uh, my entire freshman year, I pretty much didn't know where the library was on campus to give you an idea. That probably wasn't the smartest move. Um, and then at, uh, 20, I got deployed to Iraq. So pretty much 18 to 20 was like a normal college kid. And then 20, you know, kind of went sideways there. Um, but if I could go back to 18, I think the two things that I would say to myself was, um, one, surround yourself with people that have done what you want to do. Uh, that took me a little bit in life to, to understand that. And then the second thing that I probably would have done differently is I would have actually not gone to class. I would have done that even more of a bare minimum. Uh, and I would have spent way more time learning about the things that I personally cared about and would have used college as uh, a way to do that. In terms of advice for my 18-year-old self, uh, I think I would literally just tell myself, go bigger, go faster, and don't worry about making mistakes. Hmm. I feel like you didn't worry about that. Yeah, but it was always kind of in the back of my head of like, oh, don't screw up. Because like, no matter how much of an independent thinker you are, or like you don't care about other people's opinion, you still are scared of like, oh my God, like my, for those that don't know, uh, out of school, I started uh, two separate companies. And so never like went to job interview or anything while I was in college. But you're still like, oh my God, if these companies don't work, like I have to have something to fall back on in a safety net. And just like that fear drove me to do things that, ended up being a waste of time. Hmm, interesting. At Steven, sorry, just, just read their handle at S O U S T E C K Y at Susteki. What do you think about a hybrid monetary policy? Like using a neutral hard asset, like Bitcoin as collateral for central bank currencies seems like a win for everyone, including Bitcoin. I think that we will see that happen, but it will be a stepping stone to kind of a hyper Bitcoinized world. Uh, and what that basically means is uh, there was rumors already that Venezuela's central bank was putting Bitcoin and Ether into 
their reserves at the central bank. I do not know if that was actually true or not. It was a rumor that was floating around. Uh, it probably is pretty hard to confirm either way, but I think that that will happen in the future. They put gold there, so why would they not eventually put Bitcoin? Um, and I think we'll see everyone from kind of the countries that operate on the fringe, like the Venezuelas, the Irans, North Koreas, um, and, and are kind of sanction prone uh, to countries that are superpowers, whether it's the United States, Russia, China, et cetera. And so uh, I do think that it'll happen. It's just not the end state. It is merely a step in the direction of eventually Bitcoin rising to be the global reserve currency. Um, at can Jimmy play? Can Jimmy play? I don't know. Jimmy, can you play? If the price of Bitcoin is less than $17,000 at the end of 2022, what do you do with your BTC investment? Hold it in C or invest in other things? So this is my personal thing. This is obviously not investment advice. Uh, for me personally, what I'm going to do is the investment that I've made in Bitcoin, I will not touch uh, as of right now. Um, of course, if information changes, like, I don't know, Bitcoin gets hacked or something crazy happens, then I'll reevaluate. But right now I look at it very much like a venture investment. It's either going to be worth an incredible amount more than it is today, uh, over the, whether it's years or decades, uh, or it's going to be worth very little and, and worth much less than it is today. Uh, I tend to obviously think it'll be worth way more. Uh, but when it's a venture investment, what you basically start to learn is uh, you don't want to be your own worst enemy. And so I'll basically allow the investment to play out. I have a super, super long time horizon. I've basically made the investment and forgot about the money to some degree. And, uh, and, and we'll see what happens. At Chris Vonheim. Ah, Chris. Oh, you did a podcast with him. I did. What have you changed your mind about over this crazy year and why? Could it be a personal one or an economic viewpoint? I, that's a great question. I would say two things probably I've changed my mind on. Uh, the first is definitely from an economic standpoint, uh, the Federal Reserve's power to inflate asset prices and how fast and strong they can do it. So we've seen a complete dislocation between uh, the economic realities on the ground uh, with stock prices. Uh, we have stocks hitting all-time highs, yet there's 45 plus million Americans that are unemployed. Um, you know, all of that type of uh, stuff that you guys have heard, probably heard over and over again from me and others. And so I think the way that I look at it is uh, that definitely underestimated how that would work. Uh, oh, look at this. I'm going to, oh I'm going to get a little light going here. I feel blinded, but okay. It's all right. I'm, I'm, hold on a second, guys. You're making my hair look even more crazy. Well, they don't have crazy hair. Um, all right. So that's first of all, then a thing that I think personally, um, I, I've spent a bunch of time going back and forth on, uh, should companies raise venture capital? Uh, should they not? Who fits in what bucket? And I think that the more time I've spent thinking about it, the more that I realize uh, most companies should not raise venture capital. And not only should they not raise venture capital, but actually the venture capital could kill them. Uh, and so I don't know if that's necessarily I've changed my mind as much as I've like gotten a much deeper conviction in it. And uh, it's caused me to change certain uh, actions that I take, uh, both from an entrepreneur standpoint, but also from an investing standpoint. Do you have a personal one? A personal one? Plana and I have survived uh, being locked up for four months together, so that's pretty good. I, I didn't change. Did, I didn't change did my mind. Cha yeah, I was gonna say I actually, that's actually a lack of change my mind. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, all right. I could have changed my mind. <laughs> okay. Been like, I'm out. See you. So at 
Andre Simon 20 has a concern. Right. Isn't a BTC standard just replacing the 1% elite? Gold standard proved not to be good. I think we need to change the system slash engine, not the fuel. Still, I like BTC and I believe it will change a few things, but not enough. So I think that we actually believe the same thing. He is saying something that uh, is a little bit short-sighted in the sense of, I believe that Bitcoin changes the system. Uh, it's not just changing the fuel, it's changing the actual but engine. Why? Because ultimately what you're doing is you're doing two things that are very important. One, you're removing the human nature involved in, mon in um, managing money. So literally you're going to remove uh, the equivalent of all central banks around the world. Uh, there is incredible power and there's a structure and ownership that comes with those central banks. And so by removing them, uh, you quite literally are changing the system. The second thing that I would say is uh, there is a kind of ripple effect or a cascading effect by changing the money. Or as uh, my friend Marty Bent says a lot, he says, uh, you know, fix the money, fix the world. Basically, by fixing the money, you fix a lot of other things, everything from the overconsumption uh, in societies to um, literally wealth inequality gap, all that kind of stuff. And so it's the single point of failure in the legacy system that causes the most damage. And so if you can basically fix that or improve it, I think Bitcoin does that, you then can also kind of have the ripple effect of improving all the other things. And so it's the ultimate changing of the system or improving of the system. Hmm. Very interesting. At Caveman CJ, what is the most simple yet profound statement about Bitcoin that you can tell someone to make them a believer? My favorite one, I don't know if it's the most profound or anything like that. My favorite one to tell people is, do you think the system's broken? And most people will say yes. And then I tell them, Bitcoin is a peaceful protest about leaving that system. And they immediately go, what do you mean? And it, it it's intriguing enough to get them to ask questions and try to understand it more. And so I like to go down the path of like, hey, this is a protest of the existing system done in a peaceful way uh, because it's just enough kind of revolutionary and uh, intriguing and kind of pulls on certain emotional strings uh, to get somebody to ask questions and dig deeper. Uh, but at the same time, it's still accurate enough to, to clearly articulate this is something that is outside of the system or something that is going to be quite different than the existing system. There's a whole lot of systems that are broken, just FYI. Okay. At Grant's own, what's your bear thesis for Bitcoin? Does unlimited QE help or hurt Bitcoin in the next three to five years? The more money they print, the more bullish it is for Bitcoin, in my personal opinion. My bear thesis is, uh, and I've continued to say this for a while now, uh, the number one way that Bitcoin suffers or uh, ultimately ends up being not valuable is from a self-inflicted wound. And so that can be everything from uh, literally a um, software bug is introduced uh, in the development process. Obviously, there's a lot of things in place to try to mitigate those, um, but that's one possibility. Another possibility is that um, there's some sort of uh, Bitcoiners that do that participate in like a 51% attack or something like that. Again, unlikely. There's things in place to try to mitigate that, but but that's potential. Uh, and and also we've seen in history how that hasn't worked. Um, and then the last thing that I would say is. Uh, the bear thesis, I, I'm not going to put this in the bear thesis category, but it is uh, a potential bear thesis. So I actually don't think it'll be a bear situation. Many people do is uh, outright banning of ownership uh, in the United States or elsewhere. So if the U.S. government said, hey, we're going to ban ownership of Bitcoin, um, obviously that would have a short term negative impact. I personally think it would have a very, very 
positive long-term impact, uh, but nobody knows for sure. And so some people would put that in the bearish category. I'd put it in kind of the neutral to positive category. Um, but, you know, hopefully we never find out. Uh Malquist 19 how did you get your lady into crypto asking for a friend she's not into crypto that that's the truth uh plana, I, but I, I, under, I appreciate it yeah plana one understands uh much more than most people obviously she just hears me blabbing about it all the time two is uh she grew up in eastern europe and literally when she was growing up uh her home country of Bulgaria went through their own version of hyperinflation. Um, and so she and her family uh, experienced that. And then the third thing that I would say is uh, we take a very um, interesting type of uh, investment strategy between the two of us. Uh, I take lots and lots of risk and uh, we've consciously made a decision for Polina to do uh, as little risk as possible in her portfolio. Um, and so, uh, so far so good. Yeah. I think just, if you're talking about getting her interested in it, I think that um, just explaining it in a way that makes sense and has it explains the practical applications of it helps. Okay. Um, at Woa Nas. Do uh, it's at Woa oh. Nas. <laughs> but his name is Noah, you see? So I got confused. I know. Okay. So Woa Nas, do you see... Did you see anything in the army that changed your perception of your country? Yeah, I think any soldier who's ever uh, gone to combat zone uh, basically starts to see war for what it is. Um, there's an agenda. And uh, that's true of every single war ever in history. Uh, some of it is um, very much uh, explainable and kind of... Uh, reasonable. Um, then there's other times where uh, people are just like, why are we here? What are we doing? Um, and I think that uh, that is an eye-opening experience, especially for a 20, 21-year-old uh, soldier who kind of uh, joined for what most people would say are like the quote-unquote right reasons of patriotism and things like that. Uh, and the second thing that I would say is war is this really weird place where um, you see the best of humanity and you also see the worst of humanity. Um, and sometimes you can see that in the same moment uh, or in the same day. And so I think you just get a lot of uh, kind of um, whiplash in terms of the extremes of humanity. Uh, it can leave you very jaded. It can leave you actually very positive on humanity. Um, and, and so I think that's probably one of the things that uh, was most interesting was just Where did like, it leave you? I mean, I came back and I, most people who know me know that like when I came back, I was like, I could die at any second. Like I'm going to have the most fun ever in life. And I just, I didn't necessarily like go wild in the sense of like people think like partying and doing all that kind of stuff. But I just took this approach of like, I'm going to live life to the fullest. Um, and a friend of mine used to say in high school, uh, anything worth doing is worth overdoing. Um, and I kind of take that to heart of just like, I, I tend to agree that that's a pretty good way to, uh, to look at life. Well, I disagree with that. But uh, what I will say is he never gets stressed. I worry about every little thing and you just never worry, which may be your best quality. And, and stress does not affect you in the same way that it affects other humans. Is it because you keep that in the back of your mind? I, I've talked about this before. I basically compartmentalize things and I evaluate every single potential stressful thing or threat or whatever as, can I die? No, it's not important. But that's tough, right? Why? 
because there's so many things that are not imminent death, but you still get stressed about like no. family, family's health, family members, health, like things like that, that, you know, you worry about. I can't do anything about it. So it's what's in your control. Yeah. It's just, am I going to die? No. Okay. Then I, I can't stress about it. Maybe I can, uh, you know, talk to them or whatever. I just don't get stressed. Why would I get stressed? <laughs> These are the conversations we have guys. Um, okay. Patrick Callany at P. Callanaley. Sorry, I butchered that. At P. Callanaley. Serious question. I really like this question. Can you dive into I read the internet? Would love to know how you find, filter, and consume information. So for those that don't know, Plina and I do a daily YouTube show, and there's many times where I don't know the topics beforehand. Plina will start talking it's about so something. so annoying. And I'll start rattling off stats or intricacies of the story, and she'll look at me and say, how do you know that? And I'll always respond in a very arrogant and obnoxious way with, I read the internet. Uh, and so what that really means is I just spend a lot of time consuming information. Um, and I try my best to make sure that it's high quality information. Obviously, uh, there's no filter that's perfect. Um, in terms of where I get that information, Wait, what's your best filter? Yeah. Yeah. Where I get the information, I would say there's three main sources. So one is I have the, uh, advantage and, and pleasure of talking to, uh, many of the smartest, wealthiest, uh, most successful people in the world, uh, for the podcast. And so, um, you know, many of those people I've met before, um, and then bring them on the podcast, but there's plenty of people who I'm meeting for the kind of the first time as well. Um, but those conversations are incredibly, uh, valuable in terms of just being well-educated and well-read and, and kind of understanding many parts of the world. Another thing is, uh, on Twitter, um, I follow a lot of people, uh, and I pretty much have, you know, kind of mentally in a very loose way, categorize people of like high signal, low signal. Some people I literally follow just for the memes. Uh, and I don't take anything they say too seriously. Some people I follow uh, literally from like a competitive analysis standpoint of the companies we're uh, invested in or something like that. And then some people I follow because I think they're incredibly intelligent and uh, I literally turn on notifications and when they tweet, I want to see what they're saying. Um, and the last thing I would say is I read a lot of uh, newsletters. Um, I, and I, podcasts. Listen. Yeah, I listen to podcasts too. Yeah, but the newsletters I think are much more uh, kind of informative in terms of like current events and what's going on and analysis and things like that. The podcasts to me are much more, uh, they replace something akin to like business school, if you will. So uh, I want to hear people's stories. I want to hear how they did certain things, why they made certain decisions in their past, how they worked out, will they do things differently, things like that. And so podcasts I listen to are uh, Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss, Jocko Wilnick, uh, Eric Weinstein, uh, Patrick O'Shaughnessy's Invest Like the Best, 20-Minute uh, VC Harry Stebbings. Um, there's a whole bunch of them, but th those are all. You Can know. you share the newsletters you read? Uh, newsletters that I read, the, the ones that I open every single week without fail, uh, one is the profile for sure. Pro, the profile is, uh, both because she would hold a gun to my head and also because I, I actually enjoy it, uh, read the profile.com. <laughs> uh, that's the one that I read, uh, for sure every week. Uh, a second one is I, uh, read Peter Zahan, uh, pretty much every single day. I think he's pretty good. Um, Plina is going to kill me for this. Uh, one of the people who I think is very uh, intelligent, um, Plina used to write a better newsletter, but doesn't no, anymore. No, this is not true. He is, has a great newsletter. Is Dan Primack don't, at don't Axios. Like I... Uh, I, I, think, I think Dan just has a very nuanced way to look at the world. Uh, I really enjoy Josh He's Constantine's excellent. work. Um, and then uh, there's like a bunch of other ones that I, I don't actually subscribe to. What I do is I wait till people that I know are high signal, tweet them. 
and then I go click and read them. And so I basically am waiting for like other people to filter the ones that are the highest quality. And then when they tweet them, then I go read them. But I just know who those people are that are likely to one, have a good filter and two also uh, tend to share the things that they read. Sorry, can I just uh, dig into that a little bit more? Sure. Okay. Um, How do you identify somebody as high signal? Uh, It's somebody who, whether I agree with what they're saying or not, it's obvious that they have a very strong mental framework for how they think through things. Uh, And actually another thing would be people that I've seen change their mind in public uh, is a great one. Uh, And then a third thing I would say is something beautiful about Twitter is like, it's not just um, kind of your best self put forward. So somebody may say something and people will respond and then they get engaged in a conversation and you can pretty quickly tell like, oh, that person is intelligent or like that person had a PR person write that tweet. And like, literally, I don't know, like they just have water in their, in their skull, right? Like there's no, there's no brains in there. Um, And and so I think that uh, you can just kind of triangulate it. There's no like, science to is more of an art but uh once you get to that point then you're just like hey what are other smart people i know reading um and so that's what i want to do ben uh thompson's uh stratetry obviously that's like a no-brainer uh i read too shane parish i like yeah farnham street i, I read Clear, on sunday also like all right okay um at matt zero sixteen seven one four zero four. uh you recently went on the bill burr burt podcast Bill Burt podcast. What is it? Bill Burt podcast. I thought it was Burr. Burt. His name is Bill Burr, but then he's oh, a co-host. Sorry. Named okay. Burt. Was Bill Burr more receptive to Bitcoin at the end than you anticipated? Uh, nuanced answer, but a lot of people don't remember this. Bill Burr was an absolute animal back uh, in the 2008 crisis and coming out of it. He was just roasting the Federal Reserve. Go uh, Google or go on YouTube and type in Bill Burr Federal Reserve, like hilarious takedowns of the Federal Reserve. So he's actually very, very well versed in uh, in finance, the Federal Reserve, monetary system, things like that. Uh, he doesn't let on as much, uh, which makes it funnier, um, but he's very intelligent, obviously. Burt was was much less up the curve. Uh, and he, I think he even said that in the podcast, like he was just learning and, and was super fascinated by everything. Um, in terms of the receptiveness, I did not expect Bill Burr to say on the podcast, like, you know, screw it. I'm going to go buy Bitcoin. That, you said that? Uh, yes. Oh. Uh, you obviously listened. Oh, no, I, I did. Um, and then uh, in terms of Burt, like Burt very quickly grabbed on to things that are nuanced in terms of mining and things like that. So I generally think that uh, people who would uh, reach out to me and say, hey, like, will you come on and talk about Bitcoin? They're open-minded already. There's some level of interest or intrigue. Um, but to see kind of how far down the rabbit hole they went uh, so quickly was awesome. Cool. At Travis Riegler. You were, oh, what are you doing? It's cleaning the screen a little bit. <laughs> you were in the military before. How did you pivot to a job at Facebook? I'm trying to learn programming to pivot to a software engineer, and I'm finding it to be difficult. Um, so I didn't necessarily go from the military right into, uh, into the software. I don't know why this light's being weird, but it's okay. Um, in terms of uh, how I got there, so I was in the Army Um, and then I went back to school basically after deployment. Um, and at that point I decided to uh, to start a company. Uh, it was 
we claimed that it was successful, but frankly, it was uh, not nearly as successful as we wanted it to be. And it was kind of a, a great learning experience. Um, I basically didn't lose money, which was a win in my book at the time. Um, the second company that I started then uh, went much better. Um, and that really allowed me to kind of springboard in. So what I would say is uh, there's two ways to build um, a resume that can get you into one of the tech companies, uh, the large tech companies. Uh, the first is you can go the traditional path through education, or the second thing is you can build things that they find interesting, uh, and they being people who work at the companies. Uh, and that's essentially how I got in was uh, I built some tools around um, social data that um, uh, people at Facebook had, had found interesting. And so I ended up getting the, uh, the job that way. Okay. At GNN, oh God, Glasgow, <laughs> besides regulation and opposition from the banking industry, what do you imagine is crypto's biggest hurdle to widespread common usage for individuals and businesses? Time. Time for? It just takes time. Like you're literally asking people to go use new products or to go use new money. It takes time to build trust. Like it's only 10 years old. Gold's been around for 5,000 years. The US dollar not backed by gold's been around since 1971. Like this stuff just takes a long time. And, um, you know, that's a super shitty answer in the sense that people want it to be immediate. But at the end of the day, uh, it literally just takes more time. Um, and so I think that people have to kind of uh, have something called urgent patience, which means on a day-to-day -day basis, you have to have a sense of urgency and get things done and keep iterating and building and shipping products and, and kind of really pushing the, the pace of innovation uh, in the short term, but also understand and be able to zoom out and have kind of the uh, intellectual honesty of like, hey, this isn't going to happen overnight. Like Bitcoin is a multi-decade play and you have to be comfortable with the fact that you've got to work your ass off every single day in the short term in order to earn the right for Bitcoin to be successful over decades. So what I found interesting is that last year we were in Bulgaria and literally my grandmother who does not speak English and Anthony were talking through me as a translator about Bitcoin. Like she knew more than I think I expected my grandmother in Bulgaria to know. So do you think well, that- she, she's an, Just so people know, yeah. she's an accountant and her bosses at work, she works at a, a pretty large, you know, a pretty large uh, corporation. Her bosses at work uh, were mining Bitcoin. And so she basically, like they had told her about it, but she's in her 60s. No. Uh, yes. Yes. yes, she is. She's in her 60s and she lives in Bulgaria, uh, literally like in the suburbs, not suburbs, like on a farm, basically. Uh, and um, Flynn is laughing because it, it's, it's a villa. A villa, okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, and um, she knew about Bitcoin and like, and didn't know just like, oh, I've heard of Bitcoin, like was able to explain to me like, oh, my bosses are mining yeah. with computers to earn Bitcoin and things like that. And so I think again, like but that, that's, that is an outlier. Like most people in Bulgaria probably don't know about Bitcoin. No, but uh, my question was, do you think that adoption is going to vary based on geography like different places? Do you think it'll, the time, the time that it takes to adopt it is significantly shorter in some. Of course. Like if your currency fails tomorrow, all of a sudden you're like, shit, I need dollars or what's the next best thing. Yeah. Right. And so of course there's things that can happen to accelerate it, but, but overall on a global basis, if you kind of average everything out, it's just going to take time. Uh, at Jimmy Mac 257, what company are you investing in that you think can create the must-have app that can drive complete mainstream crypto adoption? 
People hate this answer, but it's Bitcoin. I, I ultimately think Bitcoin is going to be the killer app. I think Bitcoin is going to be the most popular popular product, um, and there will be all kinds of things built around it, whether it's wallets, it's exchanges, you know, every piece of infrastructure you can imagine, uh, neo banks, the, the whole line of payment processors, whatever. Uh, but ultimately, Bitcoin is going to be the core of all of this. Uh, it's already done a fantastic job over eleven years. I think it's only getting started. It will continue, um, and you know, I'm, I'm pretty uh, honest with uh, with the idea that I believe Bitcoin will. Be be the next global reserve currency. Uh, and the whole idea is that uh, we don't need humans in, in order to uh, kind of control uh, or manipulate the currency. We can have a programmatic, transparent, um, you know, well-understood uh, monetary policy. And I think Bitcoin provides that. Okay. I like this question. At Satoshi underscore fever, if Polina's portfolio out, outperforms yours, will there be trouble in the household? Polina will be a billionaire before me. <laughs> Fact. How do you know that? Fact. Somebody today, but I do believe in Polina more than she believes in herself. Sometimes, no, that's not true. Sometimes it's true, but I appreciate you believing in me because I believe in myself. Okay, anyway, so <laughs> we always joke that um, I there's some products that I use that he has never heard of, and then they like get sold for a crazy well, amount of money. On. It's not just some products. Polina has been an early user of like six different companies that end up going on that's to be billion dollar companies. What are they? Millennial women. Glossier, Rent the Runway, Stitch Fix, elephant. Uh, uh, Drunk Elephant. What was the one? Canva. Canva was like the earliest user. Um, yeah, you were using Canva in like 2013. 14. 14. Thir 13. Oh, I don't yeah, know. Whatever. Whatever. But like, <laughs> so it, it does go to this whole idea of like millennial women or younger yeah. girls tend to actually be uh, on top of these trends. Uh, they gossip a lot. So they talk to each other uh, and they, they spread gossip. stuff through word of mouth. Well, gossip being like word of mouth, they just spread stuff. It's, it's, By the way, guys gossip too. It's just, they just gossip about dumb shit. Like what's the score of the football game? They don't yeah. talk about like, yo dude, did you see the new face wash I have? Yeah, no, totally. And Glossier used to be a cult blog before it was ever a company. So if you knew it through that, you know, also I was uh, an early subscriber of the skim, like all that stuff. What's next? Next. Ready? Yeah. Wait, where was I? Oh no. Okay. We're recording this at nine o'clock. So those who are watching the video and think that we look tired, it's not that we're tired. It's oh, I don't look tired at all. Come I on. look What's great. The next one? At Louise Guillaume. Question. Who are the five non-obvious people you have consistently read and followed for over a year in terms of valuable signal or perspective in any category? Also choices don't have to be Twitter or podcasts. This is really hard because the people that I've probably followed for a long time, like over a year on the internet, they probably get discovered by most people. Like oh, I would an early investor. No, no, but just like, so here, here's a good example of somebody who like recently lots and lots of people started to pay attention to uh, Blake Robbins at Ludlow Ventures. Uh, Blake has been on top of media, consumer technology, gaming, like a bunch of things. Um, and uh, I've, I've always just kind of like, uh, I met him, I don't know, a couple of years ago, always thought he was a very intelligent guy. Again, great mental frameworks, really understood things, um, was very personable, uh, was willing to admit when he changed his mind, like all, all the things that I look for in people who I think are intelligent. Um, but now he's like, you know, was recently on Patrick O'Shaughnessy's Invest Like the Best podcast. Uh, he's met pretty much everyone in venture, everyone likes him. So like, he, he's kind of no longer like a, a secret commodity, if you will, um, in terms of like his thoughts and, and ideas. Um, in terms of other people that I think are interesting, um, I can I nominate? Can I say Morgan Housel? Morgan Housel is fantastic. Yeah, but like again, like 
he's like a, a known person now, right? So like most of the people who end up being good end up getting exposed and exposed in a positive way. Like Shane Parrish is another one, right? Yeah. Like even you, right? Like when you started three years ago, nobody knew about the profile. Now all of a sudden tens of thousands of people know about it, right? So it's like, if you do something on the internet for long enough uh, and have consistency uh, of high quality, like eventually you get discovered. And that's like a really weird thing to say because most people think it's like around uh, like old musician or, or a performer or something, but it's also true of like intellectuals as well. Mm. Okay. Um, at Dylan Coke too, if BTC is to exceed a 10X return, do you think that stifles innovation in the short term because entrepreneurs would rather stack sats than start a business? No, I think most entrepreneurs, especially in the venture world, they're using other people's money to build the businesses. So they're not necessarily going to not use their money to start a business. Um, if anything, if Bitcoin ends up uh, appreciating a ton in US dollar value, it'll bring more and more people who want to build products around Bitcoin. So it actually will lead to more business uh, creation rather than less. Hmm. Uh, uh, Lane or Ian Dunn, 24. Uh, what happens first? Giants win another Super Bowl or humans on Mars? Damn. Damn. <laughs> I think humans on Mars. Ian, come on, bro. Come on, man. Don't, don't be coming at me like that. Giants are going to win another Super Bowl. Don't worry. We got Daniel Jones, Saquon, game on. Let's go. By the way, if the Giants go 8-8, eight and eight, that means they got a shot to win the Super Bowl. If we do really well in the regular season, we're getting bounced first round of the playoffs. Yeah, you get bounced. That's right. Um, okay. Oh, do you think the light is like that because I moved? I don't know. At Bully esque son <laughs> at bully esquire oh sorry son. that's not what it says okay you know the guy you call crypto bully this is a parody account of oh my account. god crypto oh but this is not the crypto bully no. oh well it's his son so um at a pompliano will you run for presidency in 2024 no uh i like my private life um i have zero interest in politics but uh what i would I love to be first lady or but what co president. I but what I will say is uh, I believe that somebody's going to win on this ticket. And uh, if somebody put a gun to my head and said you had to run, what would your strategy be? Um, I would not run as an individual. I would put together a team and I would run as like allowed? as a team. Well, here's what I would say is, okay, here's the president. Here's the vice president. Here's uh, every single person that's in the cabinet here. Like here's oh. everybody. And then I would go to the uh, debates. And if they asked me a question about national security, I'd say, listen, I understand enough about national security to answer this question, but actually I have this expert who's on my team. I'm going to defer to them and delegate this. What do you think? Hmm. And what I would do is basically I would bring the smartest people and the most experienced people in the world together. And I would say to the American people that, look, you're not voting for me. You're voting for this team. And I'm not, arrogant enough to believe that I'm an expert in all these different things or the best, most well-versed. Instead, I'm going to build a team that together we cannot be beaten by anyone in the world. Yeah. So uh, to add to that, one interesting thing you've told me is that when you worked at Facebook, you genuinely believed that the company was successful because it brought in some of the smartest people at the time uh, around a table and it was able to iterate on many things. Can you talk about the importance of having like a team of incredibly smart people. When people respect each other and they know that everyone there is intelligent, like people would literally say things like, well, you got in here, so like you're not an idiot, right? And when you respect each other uh, and you are all bought into the goal of solving a problem, um, it's 
it's incredible what can happen. There's very special things. I think politics is a great example where uh, what you do is when you build that team, you actually build it in a bipartisan way. So you literally have Republicans, Democrats, and independents uh, all on um, the team so that uh, there's no kind of party politics or any of that stuff. And you basically just show up and you say, listen, here's the deal. We as a team all believe in these core principles and we are going to do everything we can to accomplish these goals. And any problem that comes up, we feel like we have the intellectual horsepower and the experience and expertise on our team to solve it. And by the way, if you think you as an individual who we are running against is smarter than us, knock yourself out. But as the American people, are you going to vote for a team of experts or are you going to vote for you know one person? And I think that uh, somebody will win with that strategy. Um, I don't know if that's in 2024 or beyond, but uh, I, I just see that being a very, very strong strategy, especially in the world that we live today with digital media. At Glenn Sats. Explaining Bitcoin to people is challenging. What's your advice? To money. That's it. Money's a belief system. So is Bitcoin. That's why it has value. And then it, literally, I always go to the Monopoly example. So many of you probably heard me say it, but I basically say, look, when you play Monopoly, there's four people sitting down at a table. Everyone puts their uh, bank balance in front of them, right? All of their money. Then there's a bank where uh, there's no actual banker, right? Somebody in the game is just close to it and they are doing everything. But the reason why Monopoly works is because you can see every single transaction that occurs all of the transactions between people and also the transactions with the bank. And it's simply because of transparency. If you play with somebody who puts the money underneath the God. table, then all of a sudden everyone thinks they're cheating. So you say, hey, put the money back on top of the table. Same thing with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is essentially a digital version of that transparent system of transactions. And it's just done in a super secure way uh, that is backed by the strongest competing network in the world. And I love I, the Monopoly example. Yeah, it's just super easy. Like people, everyone's played Monopoly, right? And if you haven't, then like <laughs> you're missing out. Yeah, like get get together. Okay. Um, at Rye Three Done, what is your least favorite part about having a podcast? Least favorite? I I, I got no complaints. Like even the things that even are when I walk behind you in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, like the even the parts that are like less desirable are still awesome. Like I, I literally have no complaints at all. Um, I say it all the time. It's the most selfish thing I do. I learn so much from the podcast. Uh, I record the conversation so other people can hear it. But ultimately, I'm asking the questions I'm you know intellectually curious about, and so it's super self-serving from a learning perspective for me. Um, you know, very thankful that all of you listen to it. Um, you know, literally, thank you. That's why I'm doing this right now, trying to answer as many questions as I can. But uh, ultimately, I, there's nothing that I can complain about. I got a pretty good life. You do have a great life. Um, at C Gloda, <laughs> who outside of your John did what's up, man? He's oh. been on the podcast. Oh, cool. Who outside of your immediate family has most influenced you in life and how? So I saw this, this uh, little uh, cheating here. Um, now, Plin is my family, so she doesn't count. Um, but <sighs> what I would say is... Good cover for not answering me. What I would <laughs> say here is um, the most influential people are actually people that nobody would recognize. Um, when I went to uh, Iraq at 20 years old, um, there was a number of guys who, uh, it sounds cliche, but like they literally forced me to grow up and like, not necessarily like become a man, but in the sense of I was a 20 year old, like shithead kid playing college football, uh, going to 
class barely um, and like wondering like when's the next party, right? Uh, and then I was thrown into this environment where I deployed uh, with a number of guys who were much older than me, many of them kind of in their early to mid thirties. Uh, they had wives, they had kids, they had mortgages, like they were, you know, grownups uh, in my mind. Um, and I used to give them shit about like, you guys are old, but really what they ended up teaching me uh, is they taught me about personal responsibility. Um, you know, frankly, they helped keep me safe. I hopefully kept them safe. Uh, and they basically just gave me this edge of like, no bullshit. We get things done uh, and we're going home. And I think that that like mental fortitude or, or um, mental sharpness and, and kind of strength, uh, hopefully I still kind of use it today, but you know, guys like, uh, if they're listening, they'll, they'll get a crack out of this. Um, but guys like, you know, uh, Tony Weber, Mickey Lee Stormer, uh, Cash, you know. Cash. Um, yeah. I like that name. Yeah. Well, Cash we, we're not going to use his real name. We'll just use no. Cash. Um, okay. You know, uh, th- there's all kinds of guys. Like, literally, I can think of so many. And I'll just use them because they were probably the ones I was the closest with. That's a great one. Uh, but I think they're probably the most influential in that sense. That's cool. I like that. Second best to me. But yes, I like that. Um, at Deep Popoff. Oh, Deep Popoff. Seven. seven. Have you been in Bulgaria? If yes, what did you like the most? And please don't say the identical donkey carriages on the streets. Uh, yeah, I've been to Bulgaria a couple of times. I don't know what, three, four times now. Um, and uh, the part that I like the most is, it's what I like about everywhere. Like humans are humans. So you can literally go anywhere in the world. Uh, I don't speak the, I'm, I, I don't know what I know. I know five sentences, seven sentences, something like that. I can basically say that uh, Polina's annoying me. I can tell uh, everyone in her family, I love them. I can tell every woman in her family that they're beautiful. Uh, I can ask where the bathroom is. I can say no. Um, you can say and, yes. And, yeah, I can say yes. Like, and I've got down the fact that Bulgarians, when they are saying yes, they shake their head left and right, <laughs> and when they say no, they're nodding up and down, which is the opposite of Americans. So, like, I'm pretty well versed for uh, for an American dude. Um, but I, I think that just like from a human perspective, uh, it doesn't matter if I speak the language or not. Like, you can just get along with people, um, and uh, it's pretty cool just to see kind of that humanity in uh, in other countries. He struck a friendship with my grandmother's like 85 year old neighbor uh who has all sorts of animals in his thing and he always asks about him and yeah that's my guy <laughs> but the uh the second the first time i ever met him i, I don't know if we were to serve but the first time i ever met him i was sitting in her grandma's villa not her farm but the villa, <laughs> it's a villa it's and all of a sudden i heard a commotion behind me and I, you know i'm an american dude I, I just jumped up and was like what the hell is going on and uh, all of a sudden here comes this guy uh you know re- relatively older um, kind of bumbling in and he's got a, uh, a wheelbarrow and it's covered with a piece of tin on top of it. And the guy's literally got on uh, like Adidas slides, sandals, a uh, sweatpants, um, <laughs> like kind of an old looking jacket and a, uh, a hat, like a winter hat. And, uh, you know, Looks like me, maybe he didn't shower in the last couple of days. He was and, awesome. And yeah, and he, and he comes in. And so, like, I didn't know who he was. And Polina wasn't standing there. So I couldn't be like, who is this guy? And all of a sudden, he's got this grin on his face. And he's just <laughs> looking at me. And he's, like, hype. 
And I'm like, okay, I think this is like a friendly situation. Uh, and then her grandmother comes, the planet comes, all the stuff. And they're like, oh, he's the neighbor. He's the neighbor. Um, and, and they're like, help with the wheelbarrow. Yeah, help with the wheelbarrow. So I'm like, help with the wheelbarrow. I'm like, what the hell is in this thing? It's like pretty heavy. And all of a sudden this guy, like he can't wait till I get the wheelbarrow down into uh, kind of like near the door. And all of a sudden he starts pointing at me, pointing at the wheelbarrow and he pulls off the tin and in the tin, uh, underneath the tin in the wheelbarrow was literally, he had taken one of the sheep that he's- It's lamb, it's lamb. Oh, lamb. Oh, well. one of the, yeah. Basically what he's done is uh, he has literally since birth taken care of this animal uh, and he killed it and cooked it because <laughs> it I was there. so crazy. It's just lamb. Oh yeah, okay. but, but like, but the fact that like he, he was, yeah. he was so kind and like, and he was so happy. Like literally he was happiest doing something for somebody else. Well, uh, it was just I, a really cool experience. They paid him for it, but yes, it was a kind gesture. Oh, they paid him? Yeah. Damn, they tricked him. <laughs> right, I thought okay. the guy just liked me. He did, he did. He knew Americans. Yeah, he, now he liked, the, he liked okay. the money. Okay, I see how this at, works. At Equity Pool, what are your goals that you've set for your podcast, YouTube newsletters over the next five years? I don't do five-year goals. Um, I pretty much only set goals uh, for the year. And even that's like a stretch for me. Um, a lot of times it's just, you know, a month to six months, um, mainly because the world changes too much in five years. And like my personal interest changes so much. Like today I'm 32 years old uh, and um, I have a fiance, but not married, no kids, et cetera. Like when you're five years later, your life is so different. So how can you actually set a goal um, that's five years away? That's pretty hard. Uh, and then second of all is like things change. So like what's a newsletter today, that platform may evolve or do something different. So it's just really hard to set those goals. In terms of uh, this year, the goals were um, to get the podcast to a million downloads per month. We already hit that. Uh, to get YouTube to 100,000 subscribers, uh, which was going to be like a 20x for us. Uh, we're at like 75, 76,000. So we're kind of ahead of schedule there. Uh, and the newsletter, I uh, didn't really set any goals. It was more of just like basically just keep consistently pumping out the content every morning. Um, and to me, that's more of like a discipline and consistency thing. And so far, we've kept that. So, so far, so good for the year. But, uh, but, I, I don't know necessarily what all of this becomes. Uh, I don't have some master plan. I just kind of keep rolling with the punches and making decisions on a day-to-day -day basis that I think is the right thing to do. At, <clears throat> at James Lack 6, what are, your op what are you optimistic about for 2021 and beyond that others may be more bearish outside of Bitcoin? Uh, I'm long humans and long America. Like I, I generally think that right now, a lot of people are looking around and being like, man, America is getting torn apart, like civil wars on the horizon. Um, you know, innovation has gone out the window. Uh, there's an incredible encroachment on civil liberties and personal freedoms. You know, all the things that you just see people talking about. Um, I agree with a lot of that stuff actually in the short term, but just over a long period of time, uh, I tend to be just very, very long American ingenuity, creativity, and uh, entrepreneurial spirit. And so uh, that's probably the one that right now, especially in an economic shock, a pandemic, all this crazy shit that's going on in 2020, um, I tend to be uh, pretty optimistic over a long period of time. But what do you think that, do you think that, um, you know, especially if uh, America becomes more closed off and we don't allow immigrants in as much as we used to, do you think they'll go to other countries and build businesses? I don't worry about that as much because I don't think that that's a long-term sustainable thing is to close off your country. Okay. Uh, I generally think that the internet and other technologies are globalizing the world rather than nationalizing. 
of things. Yeah, sure. There's certain, um, whether it's politicians or individuals or wealthy elites, you know, whatever that, that want different things, but generally the trend is towards globalization. Um, and we also live in the most prosperous, safe time in human history. Like if you look at the long-term trends, uh, that tends to be good. If you look at demographics, like Peter Zahan talks about this a lot, the demographics, the demographics of the United States are incredible compared to a lot of countries around the world. Um, and it generally is just summed up as like, if anyone's going to get through this, it's America. And if we can't, then okay, then everyone else can have a really hard time too. That, and by the way, that's not like American exceptionalism in terms of like, we have to win, everyone has to lose. It's more so like, it's not a binary game. And I grew up here, I was born here, uh, I live here now. And so I generally want to see like, my fellow citizens and my country do well. Uh, it doesn't have to be at the expense of other countries. I actually want to see everyone do well. It just feels like uh, I spent a lot of time evaluating and analyzing America. and We have all the ingredients necessary to be successful in the future. Is this your platform for 2024? No, you guys ain't going to see me. <laughs> okay. I, I would like go to one debate and I would drop like six F-bombs and just be like, you're an idiot. And then then it works would censor you and then okay yeah um, and then they'd be like you're not invited back <laughs> at ion entrepreneur within a nascent industry that is attacking legacy systems for finance how do you position building your brand and thought leadership for blockchain slash crypto and entrepreneurship in general yeah a lot of people ask me about this brand building stuff like i don't think about it i, well, I don't kind of focus build... on building my brand no i just no, you, me. you accidentally built or not accidentally but by writing a newsletter every morning that is your brand yeah but i i just the the lesson i have for everyone is just like just be you like i literally say what i believe and a lot of people censor themselves i if i say it i actually believe it and that gets a lot of people in trouble look i've said things that people like attack me and get upset whatever but like i don't care I literally do not care. I'm going to say what I want to say because I want to say it. And, you know, Flynn and I have both talked about this before, but like I genuinely believe the most, the utmost form of freedom is to have your identity tied to your personal name. Yep. So when somebody asks me, who are you? I don't say, oh, I'm an investor or I've got this or that or what, like the, those are things that I do, but my identity is tied to my name. Um, and I tend to think that that is, uh, you know, kind of quote unquote, a brand, but really it's just the, just being authentic. And that's, what's been able to, uh, to put me in that position. Okay. How many more questions do we have time for? Uh, let's keep going. Okay. Uh, I promise you so, I'd answer as many as I could. Okay. Kimberly Jonell at you are the wealth. What is your why? I just want to have fun. That's literally it. I want to have fun and be happy. I can attest to that. Like people, people in every walk of my life have asked me this question. That's genuinely what I want to do is uh, I want to just have fun and be happy. And other than that, I don't care. I still remember we were at this panel place and this uh, bougie guy was like, what, why are you doing this? Like, what, what's the point of all this? And he was like, I just want to be happy. And he was like, no, like for real, like, I'm not joking. Like, what's the point? Like, what do you actually want to get done? It's crazy. He was shook when I was like, no, see, like you may not actually be doing it for this, but that's literally it. And by the way, that also means like the day that I stop having fun or being happy, like I'll just stop. I'll literally one day I'm going to wake up and just be like, yep, that's it. I'm not writing a newsletter anymore. I'm not doing the podcast. I'm not tweeting anymore. Like, see you guys. And, uh, Whoa. I'll keep doing that until, uh, until I stop being happy or, or having fun. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, but it's just generally how I feel. At Dakota's tweet. Do what you're good at or do what you're passionate about? 
I think you generally are good at what you're passionate about, mainly because you just spend so much time on it. Um, True. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure there's, you know, the outlier situations where like, hey, I, I'm passionate about basketball, but I'm five, six. Well, like, yeah, sure. Okay. But like you could do other things in basketball, right? You could be a coach, you could be a referee, you could, you know, be a sports analyst, do whatever. So I, I just... I think these are all like false dichotomies in terms of like what you're good at, what you're passionate at. Just like, just do the shit that makes you happy. Right. Yeah. And like, whatever that is, like, I promise you, you'll end up being good at it. And, and the beauty of it is like, for example, uh, with the profile, I write this newsletter every Sunday and I've been asked, aren't you afraid that somebody's just going to replicate it? And it's like, because I'm so passionate about it and because I know just how many hours I put into it and it's hard work, I'm not afraid of that because I just, I know that nobody would be able to do the work if they're not passionate about it the way that, that, that I am. Of course. Okay. I, JSO VR, trying to get my daughter 16 and 14 excited about blockchain and its future. Any suggestions on motivating them and the best platform for them to learn more about it? Yeah, I, I, again, like I don't have kids, so it's hard for me to kind of say, hey, this is what you should a do. a young person. Yeah, what, what I generally think the best thing to do is actually start with the problems. Um, and if you explain to them things like what's going on in Lebanon right now, where they've seen the currency class more than 50%, um, I tend to think that's interesting. The second thing is um, part of me says like, don't force them to learn about it. Right. Cause I, I think that it's really hard to do that. Instead what you basically want to do is you want to just give them the technology. Like young kids are so digitally native that they'll figure it out. And so like, just give them some Bitcoin and see what happens and, and just watch for a little bit. And I bet you that they end up figuring it out, like going cash app or something. Um, and next thing you know, they'll start telling you like what stores accept Bitcoin and all this crazy stuff. So I, I don't necessarily if there's like, oh, go read this book or do this thing um, as much as it is just like introduce kids to it, expose them to it. Uh, and then just kind of let them run wild. Like they're so smart. Uh, literally kids come up to me all the time and I'm just like, Jesus, like out there. literally, you know how to do things with my phone that I didn't even know existed. Right. And I tend to think that I'm pretty well versed in a lot of this stuff. So, um, I think that's what I would do. At James Whiteneck, same question you asked to end Alex Fetsky podcast. What's one thing that you haven't seen yet that you wish was written about thought or explored? Uh, this is going to be very controversial, but uh, I think that there's a massive problem with the mainstream media or legacy media right now. Um, and the number one thing I think that could expose that uh, and expose it not in like a attacking way, but just an understanding. Like, I actually think this is an academic issue. This is not a like who can dunk on who on Twitter. Um, I think that the way that uh, things have been covered um, has changed drastically. Some of that is out of necessity from a business model that's been well covered um, in a bunch of, you know, analysis and pieces and things like that. Uh, some of it's also the changing of the platforms. So obviously the way that you write is going to cater to whatever platform you're using. Um, and what I would love to see is um, a analysis on uh, things like what words have been used, sentence structures, length of articles, uh, topics that are covered, how frequently by what publications, like just like a super deep data-driven analysis of how the legacy media has changed over, let's say the last 50 to 100 years. Um, and it's, I want to make sure that it's clear that like, I actually have an open mind and like that change I could be sold on the idea that it's actually a positive, not a negative, right? It's not necessarily that it has to be a negative uh, outcome because of it, but I do think that there's been a big change. Um, and so it's one of these things where like, I think a lot of people, including next sitting next to me is a former journalist at a very well-known publication. Um, it just feels like 
uh, we don't have a good understanding of the data of what's changed. It's all anecdotal. Well, like, I think this has changed. What, what would that help or tell you? So one of the things that I've seen that got me thinking about this is, uh, I won't say who it is, but somebody showed me a study of uh, the use of uh, what they categorized as like woke words or left-leaning words. So literally like the word woke, right? For example, they analyzed after the New York Times put up their paywall how many more times they started to use those words. Uh, and there was like an explosion. It wasn't like, oh, 20% more. It was like- It's because they're catering a to A thousand percent more, yes. So what ends up happening is the explanation, whether it's accurate or not, uh, that was in this study, basically was explaining that, um, well, if you have a paywall, people pay you, you're gonna write to keep the subscriber rather than write things that they don't like because then they'll unsubscribe. And so naturally it just pulls you in a direction, right? So left-leaning people start writing more left-leaning stuff, right-leaning people start writing more right-leaning stuff, whatever. And so you kind of get pulled to the extremes. Um, my guess is that that's like a very small difference. Uh, and part of this is like, from me looking at it with an open mind, it's like, until we have the data, it's really hard to make kind of um, conclusions on like, here's what's happened, right? Or, or like, is it good? Is it bad? It's not, it just feels like it is different. Um, and it would be actually interesting to see like the data show us that it's not different, right? But like the fact that we're humans and we're idiots and we're really bad at predicting the world and understanding the world, we need the data to understand what's changed. And so I think seeing that would, that would, be, uh, would interesting. be interesting. Ah, you think it'd be interesting too? Yeah. Nice. Uh, Frank the Bull and one. What happens when central banks' balance sheets explode? Uh, I mean, we've seen this, you know, many times before. Uh, but look, at the end of the day, every empire falls, every currency fails. Um, that's inflationary. And so I think what we're going to see is the same stuff happen. Like we, again, live in the most prosperous, safe time in human history. Um, and hopefully that stuff doesn't happen in my lifetime. Like it's super selfish. I don't want to see world chaos, right? Like, I don't want to see the U.S. fail. I don't want to see the U.S. dollar fail, like any of this stuff. But at the same time, like, just history suggests that the trends that we are following, uh, we haven't learned from history, right? We basically have an inflationary currency that we continue to devalue. We've got a you know global monetary uh, military complex that uh, is amazing until it's not, um, and ultimately, you know, every country that ends up dominating the world ends up falling at some point. And so, like, you know, I'm. I probably got about 50 to 60 more years of my life. Like let's hold on to it till, uh, till I'm gone. But, uh, but, but I just generally think that um, eventually that stuff's going to happen. And so central banks balance sheets exploding, like, is it really dead if we're not going to pay it back? And I think it's hard to argue at this point, 20 plus trillion dollars are actually going to pay back the you know U S debt. And so some people argue like it doesn't matter because you can always just print your way out of it. Some people argue that, um, you know, literally you're going to default on the debt who knows, but what I will say is just like, I, I think that we're, uh, we're, we're headed in the wrong direction uh, rather than the right one. At Ulysses LF99, what keeps you going after the setbacks? Again, I'm just uh, just having fun. Like uh, I, the setbacks are, yeah, they're super frustrating in the short term. But I always just kind of look around. I'm like, I got a pretty good life, and uh, I don't really work about worry about that stuff. Um, nor do I uh, get super stressed. So it's kind of um, chill. At E O N Fitzgerald nine, what does the exit scenario look like for you? Can you retire from creating content? What would you do if you're not doing this? And how yeah, do literally, one day I'm going to wake up and just stop. But like, what are you going to do after that? Just sit, read, hang out with my friends, hang out with Polina. So you genuinely do it invest. because you want to do it yeah. and because you're learning. Of course. 
I, everything that I do, but people forget, like everything I do is I'm learning. So when I'm writing, I'm learning, right? Because I have to go read a bunch of stuff and understand it and, and kind of put my thoughts down on paper, all that stuff. Uh, the podcast, same thing. Twitter, like Twitter's an amazing learning engine in terms of I can put ideas out in the world and immediately get feedback on them. Um, you know, everything is just learning. And, and uh, it's not that I'll stop wanting to learn. It's just that at some point, I'll literally just wake up and be like, this way of learning is not fun anymore. I'm going to go do something else. All right, question from Shoe Dog Millionaire at shman underscore D. Why do you use a tornado emoji in your Twitter bio? <laughs> uh, I think I put it there because like tornadoes just kind of like go through places like screw stuff up and then just like keep on going. Like they're just like literally on a war path uh, and they get where they're going and nothing can stop them. Um, and I put that up there like years ago and I just was like, I'm never taking it down. And so it's been there so long. I kind of feel like I would, uh, I'd be cheating on myself if I took it down at this point. Okay. Oh man. What company is my biggest stock position? Uh, somebody responded to it already, but yeah, I'm not in the public market. The only public stock I own is GBTC in my, uh, some of my retirement account. Um, and I don't own any other public stocks. Okay. Uh, I think you've answered this, but what, uh, at King Jesus three, what percentage of your own net worth is in cryptos? Um, it's more than 50%, uh, and it's About all what, in Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. It's all in Bitcoin. Why? 50%. Uh, there's two financial systems. So there's a legacy financial system and there's an alternative financial system. The legacy system is an inflationary system. You with the U S dollars, the core unit of account, the alternative system is a deflationary system that has Bitcoin as the core unit of account. Uh, I believe that there is at least a 50% chance that the um, deflationary Bitcoin-based system is going to be the, the new system in the future. And so I'm willing to take a 50-50 bet. Uh, it's a little bit more 50 than 50-50 um, on, uh, on kind of the Bitcoin world. And uh, if I'm wrong, I understand also the risk that I will lose 50% of my net worth, but I'm comfortable doing that. I'm a relatively young guy. Uh, and I tend to think that uh, I'd make it back pretty quickly, so not worry about it. At Anwar Adouche, how will crypto relate with third world economies, be it in wealth distribution or use cases? I think everything. Like the system changes, and so therefore you'll get a complete uh, redistribution of wealth in terms of uh, there's a lot of people who hold Bitcoin who aren't necessarily wealthy in U.S. dollars, and they did everything from earning it to mining it to buying it, whatever. Um, and if it becomes a global reserve currency, there's a lot of wealth that will get created, obviously. Um, but on top of that, uh, I also think that there is incredible resetting of the economies. And so, um, you know, I, I just think that it was uh, – it is kind of all encompassing. And then the other thing I'd say is I also think Bitcoin is a market expanding technology. So if you look at Uber, if most people looked at it, they would have compared it to the taxi industry at first. It ended up not only uh, kind of attacking taxis, but then literally now people don't have cars because they use Uber all the time, right? And so it was a way to expand the taxi market or the total addressable market. It was much bigger than people originally realized. Um, I definitely think Bitcoin is going to be much bigger than people realize. The total addressable market is not just the money supply, uh, but I actually think that the total adjustable market is all store value assets. So things like real estate, like art, et cetera, can all get, a lot of that value can get sucked back into um, a hard currency or, or kind of a sound money currency uh, like Bitcoin. And so I tend to think that it's a hundred plus trillion dollar opportunity. We're currently sitting at about, you know, call it $200 billion. So we've got, 
you know, a long, long, I mean, it's 500X, uh, but now 500X is not going to be a straight line. Um, I tend to think that it's going to be incredibly volatile. And when I say, uh, you know, 500X kind of is total addressable market, doesn't mean that Bitcoin captures the entire addressable market. It could only penetrate a, a small percentage. Uh, and if it does reach a high percentage of the market, it could take decades to do. So literally this could be a 50 plus year exercise. And so, um, you know, I say all of that when I, when people hear me say 500X, um, type potential. Uh, don't think that that's going to happen overnight. Please don't make investment decisions based on this stuff. I have no clue what I'm talking about, all the normal disclaimers. Um, but but I do think that that's kind of the, the ultimate bull cases, um, kind of what the adjustable market looks like. All right. So I think we've gotten through most of everything. Awesome questions, guys. Um, at SuperMars87 asks, in-depth thoughts on aliens? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've pretty much shared this stuff. So uh, I believe aliens are real in the sense that other intelligent life exists somewhere in the world uh, or in the galaxy, I guess. Um, the I, I am personally fascinated with just the expansiveness of space. Um, and my biggest question is not whether they exist or not. I think that it's a pretty um, you know, mathematically easy to prove case that it is highly probable that they exist. We don't know with 100% certainty, but, but definitely very probable. Um, my bigger question is just, uh, are we on the same time scale? Meaning that uh, do we as humans exist on this specific planet at the same time that intelligent life exists on another planet? Uh, or instead, do we end up living um, at a certain time in kind of the, the timeline of all of these galaxies uh, and the other intelligent life ends up living uh, and existing. It's just on a different time scale. So, you know, they come hundred billion years after us and we never actually kind of cross paths. Who knows? Um, it's super interesting to think about, uh, you know, I, Bruce Fenton came on, uh, he's an ancient alien researcher. And he said the two questions that every human asks during their life is what happens after we die and are we here alone? I think it's a great way to kind of look at from a framework standpoint. And the second thing is uh, I've got a friend, Alex Clocus, uh, who basically says all the time that uh, probably at this point, uh, the most important discovery that could happen uh, in human history is the discovery of other intelligent life, uh, more so than figuring out how to solve cancer or any of that stuff. Not so much that it would have an impact, but just it would drastically change the way that billions of people look at their life, the world, hmm. uh, and how we relate to um, kind of space. So I tend to think that people like Tom DeLong and others uh, who are spending a lot of time, money, and resources, and mental energy on this uh, are doing really important work. And um, you know that's why I ask everyone about it is because I'm just looking to learn. Okay, final question. Uh, at, Good, because I'm losing my voice. At Classic Raz, what are the Westerners' views on crypto adoption in Africa, and what is your overall view on the African economy? I think Africa uh, as a continent is going to be one of the most important continents. And it's mainly because most of the use cases in the United States uh, specifically are more around speculation and as an investment asset. Uh, but actually, when you look around the world, uh, there are many places and many of them are developing countries. Obviously, Africa has a lot of those um, where uh, this is like actually needed on the ground in terms of having uh, decentralized technology to settle value uh, as a medium of exchange and also to serve as a true store of value where uh, you can have 100% certainty that no one is manipulating uh, that currency. And so from that standpoint, I tend to think that Africa is really important. Uh, some people know this, some people don't. Uh, I went to Nigeria about three years ago. Um, I spent, I think it was a week or two there. 
Um, and uh, I was blown away. I was blown away by one of the demographics, how fast it was growing, how big the country will be on a population basis, uh, how young it is, how technologically advanced it is. Um, and also I was blown away uh, just by, I think, the, the intellectual curiosity, again, of people. I mean, I literally went and watched a, uh, a football match um, in someone's backyard at like a viewing center where they had hooked <laughs> up a bunch of TVs with satellites in their backyard and had built like almost like a, a cinema, if you will, or like a watching state uh, center. I went and I went to a betting area where literally people were betting on video games that were being played on simulation mode. Uh, I went to Computer Village. I went all these different places. And, and so um, it was just a really, really cool experience. I think to see how uh, people who grew up in a very different lifestyle than me on an entirely different continent uh, that most people don't go to, um, you know, kind of what their life's like. And frankly, uh, when I left, I actually wrote a piece, I think on Medium or something uh, that said like Nigeria is going to be one of the technology hubs of the future. Um, And I I tend to think that all the trends and value um, and kind of good things that Nigeria has going forward, there's a lot of other places on that continent of Africa um, you know, kind of apply there as well. So super bullish on, uh, on, on the uh, entire continent, really. Awesome. Anything else? That's it. No. All right, guys, do me a huge favor. Go check out BlockFi, blockfi.com slash pomp. Go check out choice, retirewithchoice.com slash pomp and go sign up for the newsletter. If you're not already signed up, pompletter.com. That's it. Appreciate you guys listening. Thank you so much to Polina for helping. Sorry that the lighting sucks. The video quality sucks, but we're doing our best here and uh, we'll have to do this again. And I'll leave you guys with one parting word, which simply is just thank you. I guess that's two words. It's one saying, just thank you guys for listening. Super, super helpful to me. Obviously, I really enjoy kind of all the back and forth on Twitter, responses to the newsletter, everything. uh, And hopefully you guys are learning a bunch. So I appreciate it and I'll try to do these more often, but uh, just thank you.